Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. In today's conversation, we have Jeremy Tectil. Jeremy is the project manager of Driveline's track software, as well as a coach in Driveline's Youth Academy. As always, if you find value in this conversation and you would like to reach out to Jeremy on Twitter, I'll include his link to his profile below. And if you would like more information on the track software, I'll include the link to that as well. Also, if you enjoy this episode and all the episodes of the podcast, you can get video access to all of the episodes as well as instant access to all of the episodes before they drop on Apple and Spotify with our brand new podcast premium. You get 40% off with code podcast for a limited time only. So go follow the link in the show description below um, and you can get that discount. I'm also giving away with that subscription two memberships to our flagship starter courses, Foundation of Throwing and First Principles of Hitting. Uh, that's over $350 worth of savings on the best content that we offer. So if you want to go do that, you want to support the show, uh, be sure to follow the link in the description below. What's up, my guy? How are you? Yo! What's How's that? Morning? Well, it's lunchtime where I am. Well, yeah, but how was your morning? No longer morning. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. I had to go. Um, had to go do. I had to go do some stuff with my dad. Um, but other than that, it's been kind of low key, business wise this morning. Um, usually I do these podcasts early, but you're on the West Coast, so you're not getting up at six a.m. to do this. Correct. Correct. <laughs> it's especially, not that big a deal. especially since I have uh, the academy tonight. So. Right. Got to, uh, we can, get, we can dig into that a little bit too. Um, yeah. you know, typically the podcast is like just whatever. We're well, you act like I don't listen. Yeah. You, so you have an interesting connection with Caleb Abney. Who's I like do. The leader in the clubhouse in appearances on the podcast. He has two released. He has one unreleased episode that I haven't put out yet. Um, by the time this episode goes out, the Eric Sim episode will have released, which oh, is man. probably like next week. And so that'll be fun. How am I going to top that one? It, I mean, track Eric Sim. That's true. That's I true. mean, you be, you be, he uses guy. track as do, as do many of your, uh, your podcast guests. They Just all, looking, they, they do. Yeah. Looking down the list. We had, we've quite a few on there. Well, I tend to navigate towards interesting people with interesting ideas. And if there's something out there that they they find value in, like track, they'll they'll at least give it a shot. You know, I think that's I think that's why everybody at least gets started in track. What are you drinking this morning? Coffee? Coffee. Monsters? Coffee. Just yeah. Just black just, coffee? Yep, just straight black coffee right now. I gotta uh when I head into the facility after this, I, I got a bang sitting in my car waiting for me. Ooh. I, when I was at Driveline a month ago, I shot a video of the drink machine. The, the bang Driveline, vending machine? Yeah. Which is one of the highlights of Driveline, in my opinion. Of all the awesome stuff that's in the new building, the bang machine is top tier awesome. Yeah. It, truly, truly incredible. We do, we do really good business for them. Yeah. I bet you do. Yeah. I bet you do. Next, um, next is the uh, the Chipotle vending machine. That's coming. That's coming. They're going to save a lot of money man. by not like bringing it over. If that if there was such a thing as a Chipotle vending machine, um, uh, I've said this. It's a good thing I don't live near Chipotle because I would have no money because I would spend 
you know, $10, $15 every day without even hesitation of thinking yeah. about like, it, do I, is this inside of what I need to spend for lunch or, you know, usually I just try to eat as cheap as possible for myself, which what happens when you get married and you have two children, it's like my priorities get shifted very far. I wouldn't even say on the back burner. It's not even really on the stove. Yeah, no, it's, um, you're, you're, you're not on the stove anymore. You're, you're back in the cabinet. Yeah. Right. It's under the cabinet, like in the back of the cabinet, yeah. you know, under some stuff. That's where my priorities, that's where my, what I need lies. We're, we're a lot closer to the Chipotle in Kent now that we moved to the new facility. The, the older facility, I don't know if you ever made it out to the older facility, but that was not, it was like eight minutes away. And we moved about eight minutes closer to the Chipotle. Mm. So we're, we're only about five minutes away. It's dangerous. I gotta I mean, believe, yeah, I got to believe that that factored into the yeah. decision of moving. No the question. The facility is like, well, we looked at three or four buildings, but this one's much closer to Chipotle than all the other ones. So. Yeah, it's just going to cut down on the the amount of time trainers are are transporting to to right. lunch, right? Because if they right. only have to go five minutes rather than fifteen, like we're just right. we're just being efficient. But I get That's to sit and listen to my academy well. kids talk about what their Chipotle order is going to be when they leave, because they make all the the You're parents stop there on the way home. We're welcome Chipotle for boosting your business in Kent, Washington. Yes, yeah, I take <laughs> sponsorships. Right, right. Yeah. I will take a discount. Yeah. You know, I will. I yeah. I will do it. Yeah. If Chris uh, Langan can't get one after what he just posted on on uh, Twitter last week with the amount of times who? that he Chris Langan oh, driving yeah, on a yeah. pigeon trainer with the amount of times he ate Chipotle. Yeah. yeah. I I am I'm, I'm a lost cause if he can't get one. I love the I love the um I love the story of the the business of Chipotle too. This guy like starts this place and he's it's it's like he started this place to open a five-star restaurant. And then, like, he never got back to the five-star restaurant, which is completely fine by me. It was in Denver, Colorado, I think. Yep. How How do you say your last name? Tectil. Okay. Kind of like it's spelled. Kind of like it's spelled. Yeah. yeah. I, I tell people, like, when I when we were trying to – I was trying to hook you up with Pete. Um, I said, his name's Jeremy. He's got a funny last name. I think it's Tectil, but um, the Jer- he's in my phone. is Jeremy Track drive line and jeremy so, t that's still that's the same how, thing right yeah t sure. i should just change my last name wow that that's a that might be an unlock there just you would not believe how much my last name gets mispronounced it's really it, yeah it's a it's it's unfathomable like it's exactly like it's spelled sound there's nothing weird about my last name at now all. two words that there's people use S, a decent amount of time yeah just like, meld it together put an s in the middle long i get longsworth a lot like, interesting like what in the world? Like I remember growing up playing little league, you know, and they announced your name on the PA. Mine never got right. And I'm like, guys, this isn't even that hard. This isn't that it blows my life away. Maybe they it's did like, it to make I the kids like me feel better. So like, Hey, we're messing up everybody's names. It's not, it's not just you. We're mess, We're going to mess up. Yeah. Everybody's names. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm with you. So you are the track guy. You are the track guy driveline. Um, what is your official, what is the official title? Not the track guy drive. Yeah. I'm the project manager. I'm the track project manager. Okay. Yeah. You're the guy who everybody calls for problems with track. Me specifically breaking it in un, unmentionable ways that it can't be broken. Nobody ever thought about breaking track in this way. It, and somehow I managed to break it. You make my job easier because you bug test for me. 
Right. You stress right. test the system and, and I have to, I don't have to do as much because you, you just, you go bug hunting for me and you find these bugs. What kind, yeah. What kind of weird ways can Chad break track today? Yeah. It's yeah. Absolutely. These, down to. This is why you're, you're among the group of beta testers. Cause I know you're going to break it. Like yep. If I, if I throw you uh, the, the test version of something, I know you're, you're going to find a way to break it. So that, that, yep. uh, I don't 100%. Have to. yeah, that's a fact. Yeah, that's a fact. I think I think back during. So we got really heavy into track. You and I met you, me, and Nick, like every Tuesday during COVID. Yep. None of us were doing anything, you know. And I told Nick, I was like, I know I'm not maximizing the use of this. So let's just like schedule a meeting. Jeremy's probably not doing anything either. Everybody's at home. So yep. let's just meet. Let's just talk to him every Tuesday. And so, I think I remember during that time responding to Kyle. Um, Kyle had maybe tweeted about scheduling meetings about track. And I said, well, pencil me in for like every Tuesday from now to eternity. He's like, well, maybe that's a lot. I'm like, well, that's probably what it's going to take for me. And you, you took him up on it. I mean, we, we had those running standing meetings on Tuesdays for, for a, a long time. We did. We yeah. did. And, and quite frankly, it was very, it was very good. And again, I asked, I break track in ways that people can't imagine, but you know, we can start talk like starting out in track, you know, starting out in track because it is a, it is a, it is a, I think I saw somebody on like imperfectly beautiful thing. I think I saw it described as that on Twitter by somebody like it is, it is very imperfect. And it's like, gosh, I wish it would just do this or it just wish it was just do this one simple thing. Yep. But starting out on it, I mean, you can probably elaborate on um, some of the best practices maybe you see in a software like track and getting started. Yeah, absolutely. I think I almost will flip that. Like some of the worst practices are just trying to bite off more than you can chew at at one time. Um, Like one of the, the big parts to me about track is it scales really easily once you learn how to use it for like, a couple of your players, you can really quickly scale that to like, you know, however many you have, if you have a a large facility or or just like a a team of 25. Uh, And it's really easy to like layer in technology after the fact, because like your AppSotos, things like that, you can link them and all that data gets backloaded in. Um, So I always try to get people to start a little bit slower and like, Hey, for sure, just simple, create your athletes. And like what I tell people a lot of the time is just like, you know, your AppSoto units, your blast sensors, None of this is useful if your athletes aren't going to use it. Like if you can't convince your athlete to wear a blast sensor on his bat, you're not going to get use out of a blast subscription for that athlete, right? Like track is the same way. If you can't convince your athletes to log in and complete workouts, if you can't explain that process to them, yep. you, you aren't going to get the most value out of it. Um, and it's one of those things that like we, we, I know like we've talked about a decent amount at, at driveline, which is like the best way to, to really learn something is to teach it. And like, if you, you're going to need to teach track to your athletes, like that is a thing that you're going to need to do. So learn it piece by piece and teach it piece by piece, rather than like trying to learn the entire thing in two weeks and then roll it out with your athletes. Generally, that's when we see people kind of falling flat, but it's like any technology where you just got to simplify it. Like start with, with picking the one or two things that you want to focus on and and that you want to, you know, track for lack of a, a better term there. Um, and like, go from there, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, and 
most times we see people uh, drop off with track. It's it's trying to re- reinvent the wheel, and, and I'm going to go like full bore into this system in in the first three days, and yep. then like I get overwhelmed, and and I probably don't log it again. Yeah, the enthusiasm, the, the like the initial enthusiasm of some of something and its potential. And I think I retweeted something maybe from James Clear. It's like when you start start out something and you're really, really motivated, you should start the task much smaller because there are going to be many days where you're not motivated. Yeah. And if it's too big, then you're not and you're not motivated some days and that habit establishes itself too much then you're just going to you're just going to drop the habit quickly and i think that's probably what happens with track a lot i mean it probably happened with me a bit but i use it and i and i'll talk a little bit about the ways that i use it you know i think about people um that use it for programming workouts which is awesome tracking yep. workouts which is awesome uh blast inputting technology and we can talk about the integration of technology which is awesome i mean we use it for simple things like we put our goal setting data input in there, like our, you know, our short term, middle term, long term goals, and then update them. They just write their goals in periodically. I just recently built like a nutritional, like log and journal in there, like just yep. kind of getting some people to, to be disciplined about. Okay, if your goal is to gain weight, then you need to be disciplined to, like, just writing this stuff down in the track where we can keep it. And it logs into a dashboard, and then you can look at it. We can make sure that we're hitting these benchmarks over time. Um, game post game journaling. You know, I think like a lot of people have like quality hit charts. You know, we put post game journals in there for quality at bats, quality contact, and did you have a plan? All these things on like game days when they're not, you know, working out in the gym. So it like they're accountable to that. They're at least accountable to their thoughts of those things. Yep. You know. It, it doesn't really matter. It's like it's like the, the nutritional journaling or the post-game journaling or the goal. It doesn't really matter what they write in there because it's not right or wrong. It's just the discipline of them writing it in there. And then just having it, you know, it's not like on a piece of paper where it might get thrown in a folder and like never looked at again. Yep. Those are things that you could do inside of track. Like those are simple implementations of track. Um, it's like Pete that I just, I just wanted him to get started like, Teach them how to log in and then put these game journals on game day and get them to log the data input on the game journal. That is yep. it. Like yep. do that. And then you can scale from there. You know, I don't I think people people want to get in and they want to um again, they want to attach their blast, they want to attach their Rexoto, they want to attach their hit tracks, they want to attach all this stuff. And I can attest to the frustrations of a lot of that too. Yep. And so it's not only a lot to keep up with as somebody, but it's there's a lot more apt to go wrong starting out. Just yes. hiccups, just inconvenient hiccups that a lot of people will just kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater where I'm just stubborn enough to dig my heels in and and just bother you, for lack of a better term. For sure. For sure. And there's a bunch of different ways to utilize track. Like I see it all the time. I, I look at a lot of the usage stuff and like, we've got, we had a school who was like a power five school who paid yep. us for track in the first year, they only used it to upload video to the media tab. So, I mean, this is yep. just like, I, I'm just going to replace Google drive with track. 
And like, this yep. is an easy spot to, to, to do this to my athletes next year. Now. All right. Now we're going to layer in, we're going to start uploading track man data from, from every game that we get. And we've got all these CSVs from last year from TrackMan. So now we're going to enter those. And now all of our athletes, they know how to upload media. And now they've got all the TrackMan data in there. And then maybe next year we'll get into the edge reports and like really start to roll that out with athletes and stuff like that. And I think that's where this becomes like a really hard product to, unless, you know, you're Chad Longworth signing up for Tuesday calls and hopping on with me. Yep. You, it's not immediately apparent to everybody the easiest or best way to utilize this for your specific facility. Yeah. Everybody's got a different problem and track can solve that problem. But what is that problem that you have that track can solve is the, the, the trick of like getting people in the door. Right. For sure. No, for sure. I, you know, and I think that I also think that in a lot of ways inside a facility that people kind of overshoot, how much the players are going to care about it as much as like, you know, I, our, our players don't look at their data a lot, which is fine by me. They don't, they don't, all they want to know really is am I getting better or getting worse. And I, you know, a lot of times, especially in the adolescent age and you coach kind of the, the age um, at, the, at the Academy where, where getting better is pretty apparent to them without, without the data, because at the end of the day, it's the training that's the most important yes. thing. It's not the track or the technology or, you know, and again, it's the people that like harp on technology. Like I can make this argument better than you could. And I use the stuff, you know, a hundred percent. I mean, I talk to my kids, you know, we obviously at, at drive Academy, everyone's got a pull sensor at all times. They're wearing yep. blasts when they're swinging, Which they're is swinging in front of the hit impressive. tracks. That's yeah, incredibly right. impressive too. That's like number two, I think. To the bang machine is the tree the christmas tree of pulses yeah or on the charger and how they get implemented and managed like i deal with probably four or five pulse sensors yep not 200 yeah two 200 250 uh, yeah it's a yeah. it's a it's a bear uh and you know we're, we're working out the kinks it's it's a pretty smooth process sure. at this point but like sure. All the kids, you know, they're wearing their pulse, they wear blast, they swing with the hit tracks. And I, my big thing is like, you're not going to have that on the field. Like, yes, we, we do wear our pulse sensors when we're, we're on the field. If, unless, you know, the, the umpire tells us not to, or, or which hasn't happened nope. yet, but like, you know, you get the, the whiplash with hit tracks of like, I'm going to take this pitch. Was it in the strike zone? I'm like, yep. that's not your umpire. Your umpire yep. is a teenager who doesn't care about his job. He's going to be way worse than that. So like yep. uh, in the cage, especially hit tracks, it's coming from a machine, just swing, right? Like I don't want yep. you doing that. And uh pulse sensor, like you're not always going to be able to, to wear it in a game blast sensor. You're, you're not able to wear that in a game. So you need to be able to teach them how to feel using the technology and using the technology as like a feedback tool. So like yep. when we talk about pulse, uh, if the kid isn't here, so I had a kid who uh, went on vacation to Hawaii last week. And because uh, we have like midwinter break in, in Seattle, which yep. never a thing that I heard of anywhere else. We had it. There's, there was a place in East Tennessee that had it. Like, wait a minute. You guys had Christmas break and then you have like winter break and then like spring break. I'm like, and I grew up in Chicago. We, we had a long enough winter where we could have gotten a second winter break. Like, yep. I, I don't know where, but anyways, uh, he went to Hawaii and we had a tournament uh, doubleheader the Saturday and 
he's one of my pitchers and I am thinking, all right, he's probably not going to be throwing for at least a week leading up to this. So like probably not going to have him pitch in that game. Well, I talked to him before he leaves and all the pulse sensors you saw, they all stay in the facility, whatnot. Uh, and I want yeah. him doing like recovery and a hybrid B while he's, while he's over in, uh, in Hawaii is so that he's ready to do his hybrid a during like the scrimmage. Yep. If he doesn't have his pulse sensor, it, I mean, if this were me, if we're talking like a, a while back, like I have zero concept of what like 50% is versus 80% versus throwing full intent. Yep. He's been wearing the pulse sensor. So he has that feel. He knows if we can say like, all right, your normal arm speed is X. This is a recovery day. So you're doing 70% of X. And then he is able to like feel what that arm speed is by wearing a pulse sensor. Now he has developed that ability to adapt in games and adjust in games, knowing how his body works. So like, we're not sitting there. And I know that's like a big uh, thing that people think that we do uh, is like sit there with these long reports with our athletes and like, no, like we're, we're just trying to build feel in a lot of these cases. And like sure. help the athlete because they they can't be reliant on this stuff when they're in the middle of a game. Uh, you can't you can't turn and whip your head and, and see if the hit track strike zone was there. Like you got to be able to to train your eye and, and be able to hit pitches that are not uh, strikes based on a hit tracks zone. Because yep. we're gonna we're gonna stare at a lot of called third strikes if we uh, think that the hit track zone is like a real strike zone. For sure, for sure. No, I'm with you. Um, yeah, I think that's so. I it's I was at driveline a month ago, and it's like in a, as an incredible operation as you could imagine it being. Which we can talk about this through track is one of the things that I've been harping on for years. Really, is like how do what are the best practices? And this is something that I talked to Pete about. It's like what are the best practices? And it is, it is flawless, as, as I can see, flawless and seamless across platforms at Driveline from seamlessly using technology, which you referenced to, you know, like it's just part of it. Like it, and it, and it again, it, it's clunky at times and breaks at times, but, you know, as, as seamlessly as technology can be. Exactly. To the PT, to the strength, to all the feedback tools. You know, I think even in in a lot of my experiences with Power Five conference schools, and I'm sure this is true in MLB too, we're not integrating and communicating across these things very well. You know, and and I've tried to get my friends to realize that track is a tool that will allow you to integrate across all these things, so they're not like these standalone departments of for players you know yes. it's like the team psychologist and the team strength conditioning coach and this team pt and the team head coaches and pitching coaches how do you how do you see or how you speak about how driveline does it so seamlessly um as far as across all platforms for sure. That's a, it's a great question. Uh, I spent a couple of years in, in pro ball before I, I came over to driveline and like, yeah, that, that's a yep. problem that with I saw Caleb every day. with Caleb Abney. Shout out, yep, shout we, out to Ray's we video did guys. Not, we did not, we didn't elaborate on your and Caleb Abney's, uh, when you guys crossed paths, but yeah. it was in, when you were both in pro ball, with we were Rays, both in pro ball. 
Yep. We, we both uh, were with the Rays uh, in 2015. Yep. Um, okay. He was, he was in uh, Bowling Green and, and I was in Port Charlotte. Uh, so we, we spent spring training together and then we kind of broke apart for the season. Uh, and then, uh, we went to, to the winter meetings in, uh, in Nashville and had a great time in that, uh, that December right after that. Um, and I, I hadn't he, seen he him. In, what? What's up? He was in, he was in strength and conditioning. What, what, did, what were you in? So he, we were both, uh, video and like player development guys. Okay. So we, uh, okay. he moved right after, good. after that year, he moved in more into, like strength and conditioning and, and like hitting coaching. Um, and I went yep. to the Mariners, um, right after that year, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Way back. Wait, we, me, Kayla and I go way back, but yeah, we, I experienced it firsthand that especially like larger organizations, um, there's just that level of communication is really, really hard, uh, to, to be able to like actually have on a daily basis between all these different departments. Uh, and it's not just a problem with baseball, right? Like I'm sure other industries have this problem where like hundred percent other yep. know, departments don't really communicate well amongst each other. Uh, and that's one of the nice things about driveline is, I mean, when I started, we were still in the, the older, the other building, not like the first building that we were in, but we were still in the, the other facility. So it was pretty small. Um, and it's much easier to communicate when your staff isn't that big. Uh, when like everybody's yep. kind of working from the same Slack channels and, and like working in the same place, like it's, it's pretty easy to, to communicate and that obviously becomes harder, the larger you scale and the more athletes you take on and the more trainers you have. Um, and that's where we really lean on track, uh, and like a lot of our systems, uh, to be able to communicate directly. Uh, cause you know, we don't always, so like for an example, uh, we've got a bunch of pitching trainers and a bunch of trainees, and we've got a bunch of high-performance trainers. If one of our pitching trainers moves a guy from a, a velo development phase to like a pitch design phase, maybe that's not always perfectly communicated to the high-performance floor, and he is still on a weight room phase that corresponds to velo development and not pitch design. We use track, so if you're going to change it, change it in track, then the high-performance guy can see it. So it removes a lot of the um, making sure that that communication is there. And, and maybe it's like a, a personal communication where the guy's walking up to the trainer and, and having that conversation. It's not always possible. And in most cases, it's not at all possible. So using a system like track to be able to like, right. Hey, we made this change. Now everybody can see that change. We have it documented. Uh, obviously we have the back end, So like we can go look like when exactly was this change made. So then that gets in a lot of the other R and D stuff that we can do where we know like exactly when a guy changed his phase and like we can then run studies on like what happens to guys in this phase versus in this phase because we have like the exact cutoffs of of when they entered and exit phases um but a lot of that is and you know we have the api with track uh we need to use it a lot better outside of driveline we automate a ton of the stuff that we do uh within track with the api uh, so taking a lot of the work and, and like you said, a lot of it is, is clunky and, and, um, it's about as seamless as technology can get with a 100%. lot of the, like the manual uploads and stuff like that. Um, oh, sure. but me with being able to utilize, not, yeah, me saying it was clunky is not, a, I mean, all technology, I mean, spell check on your iPhone doesn't work very good. 100%. So all technology is a bit clunky. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Spell check would be easier if, uh, if it automatically did it right. So like, that's yes. a lot of what the API is and a lot of what we 
deal with 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 track and uh, like a big pushback that we get from like the big power schools and and pro teams and stuff like that is um, we we have our analysts. All this stuff is on the back end. Like we don't really need track. We have something that we have a system already in place that collects all this data and houses it. They don't have that system that disseminates this data to their athletes. Right. And that's what right. track gives you is the athlete facing portion of that. So in a lot of cases, we're not even like trying to change what you do. Obviously a lot of the driveline programming is preset. We've got some of our assessments preset. We've yep. got our edge reports. You don't have to use any of that if you don't want to, you can use track to create your own workouts, use your, yep. use the API to drop your own reports. in. we've got pro teams who use the API to, to just drop PDF reports in the, the media tab because they give their athletes something different than edge reports. Yeah. Like you don't need to use our edge reports. We use that for our driveline athletes. You don't need to like track is not just for people who want to do driveline, right? Like there's, it's uh, anybody who wants to take information and put it in their athletes' hands and give more power to the athletes. Um, That's one thing that uh, Mississippi State's a a big track user and uh, Scott Foxhall, the, the pitching coach on a call, like a year and a half ago, probably uh, said to me, like, this is going to be a little counterintuitive, but like, I want my players to be their own best pitching coach. Like I want them to be able to, to make all these. And I want them to make me obsolete basically in a way, like that's how I know I did my job as a coach. If they can all coach themselves and they all like understand and can adapt and make those adjustments on their own. And it's not as easy to do without track, being able to put that information in your players' hands. They can always have it at their fingertips. They know their goals. They know if they're getting better. You're able to simplify a lot of that information. Oh, did I lose you? No, you're good. You're good. I don't know if it's my connection or your connection or what. Eh, It could be a little bit of both. Sometimes sometimes my connection is not the best here in my 100-year-old block mine too batting cage so yeah so we're just so yes for sure i think to to that point about mississippi state is and this is the thing that i challenge our players to is ask better questions you know i'm going to give you the information to for you to ask better questions because that's a life skill in and of itself you know, it's not a it's not a skill that's oftentimes facilitated for you know, my my kind of my sweet spot and my favorite both my favorite and least favorite ages are like that kind of twelve through sixteen year old developmental into the teenage stage. They're stupid. Their their brains function once testosterone starts to happen in that world. But it is also a time frame where they need to learn to think for themselves they need to learn to speak for themselves they need to learn to ask questions good questions i mean not i say good questions but like there's no bad question if you're if you're curious enough to ask it and i and i think that's why people enjoy um maybe enjoy this podcast i guess because i just have always had this curiosity to and and lack of shame to ask dumb questions and maybe Maybe it's a gift, maybe it's a nod. I don't know. I, it's never been overly intelligent, so I just I just fire off questions. Maybe they're dumb, maybe they're not. You got to know that about me on Tuesdays. It's like, this may be a dumb question, but I'm asking anyway, because I don't have any shame. Um, 
but giving athletes the information like in Mississippi State so they can formulate a better question and a better hypothesis for themselves to to operate on. And then once the athlete takes ownership to that level, it the the depth to which you can operate just becomes more and more um it, it's coaching. Like it's coaching today. Yeah. You know, it's not my way or the highway any longer. And it shouldn't be. You know, the old school coach that's my you do what I say because I said it. You know, yep. track track is a piece of technology that is integral in developing questions off of information. It's like I've, I've, man, I've mandated, I've mandated our, because we don't have an, I don't run an academy and I don't want to run an academy at all. Um, so our players all play for different teams. And I told them, I said, if you don't have a pulse sensor this spring and you don't wear it at practice, when you come in this gym, your throwing programming is going to be bare minimum. It's yep. going to be bare minimum because we have the ability to, to have the information on what you did. And I'm not going to go by what you say you did because I don't have to. Yes. We have the wearable technology that you could buy for a hundred bucks. You have a $400 bat and a $300 glove. Buy a hundred dollar sensor if you want better throwing programming during the season. Yep. Which I would suggest you do because we've spent a lot of time all season, you know, building, you know, better weaponry, for lack of a better term, more powerful weaponry that, you know, we would like to maximize in season if we could. But if you don't have this information, what you're going to get from me is going to be a bunch of recovery days, maybe, because I don't know what you've done. And that's it's funny you say that because, you know, obviously, like in in my day role, uh, I talk to a lot of coaches about Pulse and like why it's important to use Pulse, like what they can, what kind of information they can glean from it and like why they should do it. Uh, and then at night, I go and try to explain to 13 year olds uh, why they should wear Pulse sensors. And those are like two very, very different arguments that you're making to someone as to like why you're going to use the same technology. And like, I use the same argument with my 13 year olds. Like, I, I'm not really going to, to, to go in there and look at your torque. Uh, I am almost using it as like an attendance tracker to make sure I know when you're throwing and that you are throwing and as a workload monitor so that I know like if you if I had you uh play in shortstop for three innings and then catching for three innings I can look at what your workload is so that I can now manage that for the game tomorrow and make sure that all right you played short and catcher today you ended up making like 380 throws and you're 13, we were playing on 90-foot fields. That throw from shortstop was kind of like a high-intent pitch for you because maybe you're not big enough and you're not ready for 90-foot fields. So you basically threw a bullpen in the middle of a game making throws from shortstop. So tomorrow, I'm going to pull you back a little bit, and maybe I move you over to second base uh, or play you at first base or, or give you another inning on the bench yep. uh, tomorrow because like, I am aware of, of your workload. Um, and being able to like explain it in that way as opposed to uh, yeah, like here is the technical information that you can get and torque and arm speed and, and all that good stuff. Um, it's two very, yeah. very, very different arguments uh, to make. And and I encourage everyone to to go coach 13 year olds because they love asking questions. Um, and it's important because if you can't explain it to them, it's you're, you're not going to really have a great time explaining it to other athletes. And that is one thing because I think too. 
go ahead. Go I was going to say, like, I, I come from, like, I, I wasn't a high-level player. And, like, that year when I worked with with, with the Rays, with, with Caleb, that was the first time I had spent time in, like, a dugout with high-level athletes. And uh, I was big into, like, the money ball and all that stuff. And, like, yeah, they don't want to hear that. Yep. <laughs> they don't, they don't, they don't want to hear They don't care. They don't, and, like, if you can't take that information and translate it to them, it is kind of useless information uh, to have. Uh, and that's a lot of time where you see like the siloing of, of different stuff is, um, yeah, like I know what I'm talking about. I just can't explain it to you. So I'm not going to try. And it's like, ah, there's always a way to explain it. For sure. No, I, I'm with you on the, on the high level athlete conversation. You know, a lot of it is if you imagine a Mississippi state and higher up than that, is is like it's a lot of data collection for short conversations potentially yeah you know because really all the athlete wants to know is like why are we doing this and how well here's the deal and here's the information we've collected off of whatever we have track man whatever we have hit tracks whatever we have in pulse whatever we have in blast whatever we have in video you know, all these things are in one spot. We like, we don't have to go chase it down. Um, here's a question I ha- I've been meaning to ask on, on, uh, on Twitter and I haven't gotten around to it, but the track man unit, the portable track man unit, does it do hitting and pitching? Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about maybe buying one. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's a big uh, maybe. It's we, we've, we've had a bunch of people, um, more recently, especially um, last like year, year and a half, um, have have like shifted over to TrackMan, and, and we we get a lot more uh, TrackMan uploads because obviously when we first started, it was almost all stadium unit TrackMan uploads, uh, and now we get a decent yeah. amount of, of portable unit uploads uh, and and storing data there. Um, yeah, yeah, that's uh, so it does. Hitting and pitching in the same in the same song. I mean, maybe it's two different like apps you got to download, but it's the same unit. It's not like a Rapsodo. Uh, where you gotta have like two different units. As far as I know, yes, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, I, I I saw the hitting piece, and we have the hit tracks for most all things that we need to do. Um, life, bad ball feedback, you know, gameplay, yep. tracking, whatever we're doing. I just maybe would add that because my rap Soto just. It doesn't turn on real good and just it's I need to like reset it maybe or maybe it's messed up. I don't know. I just don't have time. And this is again, this is the argument against technology. It's yes, like I hundred percent doesn't work. We need it to work right now. Yes. And it doesn't work. And it right never now. works right when you so, need it. And yeah, when and Bodhi so, said uh a while back, and and I think about this all the time, that like every new piece of technology that you purchase that you use. You, it is, it's a full-time job. You got to learn how to use it. You got to collect the data and actually like use it. You got to yep. store that data somewhere. You got to be able to pull insights from that data. And then you have to be able to explain to your athletes uh, why they should care about those insights that you're pulling from that data. And like yep. pro teams pay full-time, pay people full-time to do that for each technology. And then you got uh, you know, a, D, a D3 college coach who uh, has like, not a whole lot of time and has to do fundraising as well. Uh, and yeah. now you're throwing all this technology at him and like one thing goes wrong. 
maybe it takes a few days to hear back from me or, or from one of these other technology yep. places on support and like, Oh, we just didn't use it for the last three days on the field. And like, now it's just kind of being removed from our rotation and, and like the habits that we have because it didn't work when we needed it. And like screw technology, we're, we're moving on to the next thing for sure. Which is, which again, back to the conversation of training is part. Doing what they're doing, and, and I've said this about my own journey, coach. This point in my career, technology is not something I have to have because our training model. I'm confident in our results within our training model. It's nice to have, but at this point, I'm much more on the side of spending money on tools. You know, I just bought. I'm I'm really chomping at the bit to buy the new axe. The driveline access. Smash bat. We wanted to buy that for like six months. And I got the email yesterday that it's actually available, uh, like five bats. Like that's that's the stuff that gets me going. Like I, I, I balance between what the technology that I have is really good for a guy who owns a facility in the middle of nowhere. Amazingly good, actually. But now I just, I just want a bunch of tools, especially for hitters. You know, it's like, we got. We need more bats. We need more challenges. We need more machines. We need more ability to do things like that. It's like, ah, should I spend this money on a track man or should I just, should I just buy more tools? Because at the end of the day, is about the training, the training tasks, the training environment, and the information. The information that you collect is awesome. It is. Percent. Yeah, like, it's it's but, one of those things where I talked about earlier where we're you have to use the technology in a way that you aren't reliant on it when you get out to the yep. field. Cause it's not always going to be there. Sometimes it breaks. Sometimes it, it's not there. Sometimes it doesn't work. Whatever the case may be. Like I went to Yellowstone fourth uh, of July of COVID. Cause you know, why not? Uh, yeah, met a sure. buddy there, dro- drove from, from uh, Seattle to Yellowstone, um, went to leave Yellowstone and didn't have cell service. I felt so dumb not being able, like just completely incapacitated without being able to like open up my maps and be like, all right, yep. just direct me, tell me where to turn. And you know, get me out of here. Yeah. And I, we're, we're good. I made it back to Seattle. I figured it out, but like, there's a decent correlation there. where like, if, if you are so reliant on the technology and then it's pulled out from under you, are you able to like still perform? Like, are you, does it cripple you? Are you, are you out there on the mountain trying to like, thinking way too much about spin rate or, or, you know, whatnot, or like, what was the spin rate on my last pitch? I don't know. Cause I don't have a track band stadium unit here. Like whatever the case may be, you can't be a hundred percent reliant on it. Cause it's just, there are times where it's not going to work. So you have to use it as a tool, but if you're a hundred percent relying on it to do anything, that's a problem. And I, and I, that was one of the amazing things about being at driveline. And it's something that I shoot for too, is how can we make the technology invisible like how do we get it to just be my hit tracks is a a metal box that sits on the side of the cage that's all it is and you know it works night i get really frustrated when it doesn't work for whatever one reason the other because i move my hit tracks a lot like Mm. twice a week to two buildings so i have to pack it up and sometimes it gets knocked out of calibration and it sucks to have to stop yes. and calibrate it if you have to stop and calibrate it. But, you know, the goal would be, and this is 100% true and, and probably a 
you can probably attest to this, that maybe the greatest misconception about driveline is the technology is pretty invisible, really. I mean, when we were there, it was like, it wasn't, there's people there that are tasked to, um, to take care of it. It's like, I forget the guy's name. He, he runs the, he kind of hung around, he hang around the plyo wall a lot. What was his name? Shorter guy. Anyway, I would, he would be working on something. His name's not important. He would be working on something and I would just go ask him what he was doing. What are you doing? Well, I, I've got to do, this. We're, you know, we're doing this, this, and this testing and I got to get this, this, and this piece of technology to work. And, you know, the players don't need to see all this. They, it's just this guy that's tasked with this technology. Um, and he, you know, that's what, that's what technology is. And I think people, I don't know that we're any closer, quite frankly, in 2022 to getting to where, to get people to understand. It's like the best way to start with track, the best way to start with blast, the best way to start with anything is just, and my friends that buy bat sensors, I tell them, man, just put it on the bat and just connect it to the app and just hit. Just hit. You don't have to look. You don't have to look at it every swing. You don't have to even look at it, period. Just set it up and go with it. You know, I, yep. I got a, I, I got a remote client. I don't take on a lot of remote clients because I just want to make sure that I'm communicating well with the ones that I have. Yep. And so he had a pulse sensor. And I'm like, um, why are we not using this? He's like, well, I'm like, I'm like, no, put it on and hook it into your phone and just throw you don't have to look at it. You don't have to do anything. And so he's gotten, we've gotten into about a two week habit here where he wears it every time he throws. And the dad is actually like, I like this. I like this piece of technology just because it get, you know, I think it would back to your point about the tournament. Now that I'm talking to an idea I had when you were talking about the tournament was it would blow people's minds to be able to see how much people's kids throw in a tournament. Like it would blow. They don't. You don't think about it, but it is way more than what you think. So yes. much more than what. You so think. much more. Um, and I, I don't. I would like to think that coaches would move, like you say, he threw a bullpen and shortstop. I would like to think if coaches had this bit of information and knew how much they threw, they would prepare two or three shortstops, and and they would move the kid who. Do a shortstop and probably has to pitch too, you know, and then catch the catcher. And what I know, I know Devin talked about this. Are. I know Devin talked about this in your pod, but like, we don't have any, you know, POs. We, we train everybody as shortstops. Like, there, I have 13 kids on my 13U team. I'm comfortable throwing every single one of them at shortstop. All 13 of them pitch, they're all going to get innings. So, like, yep. it's, I, have the amount of guys where I can move things around guys and girls and I can move things around yep. and make sure that nobody's workload is high. Uh, and I also have the luxury of, of uh, working for someone like Devin who makes it extremely clear that winning is not the ultimate goal here. Um, so, sure. it, it, you know, you other organizations, even like coaches or even like parents uh, you get the uh, yeah, I, I like you said, I, I would like to think that they would change their minds if they saw the, the data. But like, I like to think there's a, there's a lot of them that would. wouldn't. There's a lot of them that wouldn't. Yeah. If, if, if you told them like, hey, this kid just made 400 throws and they're like, yeah, but if I put him on the mountain, he might win me this tournament. Like they're probably going to put him right. on. the mountain. Yeah, right. He's our guy. He's yeah. our guy. He's our horse. It's like, yeah. well, your horse is like 
lame, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we could get into the the academy a bit. Um, you know, I, I talked to Devin on the podcast. Devin and I have talked a lot through the years. Um, you coached the 13U team um, on in the academy. I've told people since I've been back that I've talked to that one of my buddies that lives in Charlotte, a kid that I actually coached in high school, lives in Charlotte. He's like, man, I just want to do what the Driveline Academy does. And I'm like, dude, you, hey, that is about as, as impressive of an outfit as it can be on a youth baseball scale from, from Devin's, from Devin communicating to implementation to, you know, all of these things. And it certainly has its challenges, which he and I have talked about, which we haven't, we don't have to, we don't have to rehash the challenges of youth baseball. I think everybody's aware. Like driveline is not immune to the challenges of the guy that I came to Seattle with Sam. He still is. He still, it still blows his mind today. It's like, what are people in Seattle doing? Like, why does everybody not play there? Like, why is everybody not play there? Why? Like, that's the one thing that I want for my son. It's like that level of commitment to seeing him get better, you know, kind of in a team setting. Like, it certainly has its challenges. But talk about talk about kind of the evolution. Is this your first year involved in the Academy? It's my first year. I was going to do it uh, initially for the first year of Academy. And then I I moved back to Chicago during COVID for for – Yep. Yeah, like eight months or so. Um, and that was right in, in the, when the season was going to start. So um, I was coaching a little bit of high school uh, at a private high school in Chicago on the, on the side. Um, that was, uh, that was a real struggle. Uh, and that was like very eye opening okay. uh, coming back from side. So I coached, I helped out a little bit with them before I went to driveline. Uh, before I got to driveline, I was, I had been at the commissioner's office in the scouting bureau, uh, scouting bureau, uh, RIP. It was, just, it was yeah. great. Um, but we, after that, I kind of realized that like, I probably wasn't going to get another pro ball job unless I learned how to, how to write some code, uh, and learned how to like manage some databases, uh, on the back end there, just cause, um, I didn't have high level playing experience. And that's a lot of time what they look for in like scouts, player development guys. So just to give myself a more well-rounded package, I was like, I'm going to learn how to code. Um, while I was doing that, didn't want to miss out on baseball. So I helped out with this high school team. Took the job at driveline, moved away. When I came back, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer. I'll help out. It was the amount that I had changed and like my personal philosophies had changed in like a year and a half at driveline uh, was like really shocking, uh, especially like to go back there with these people that like are not bad people. Uh, they just know nope. you know they're dad coaches. They don't really know what they're doing. Um, and they don't, it's, it's a, this is always how it's been, right? Like having the argument about towel drills, like, yep. yeah, yeah. Like not something before I left for driveline that I was really going to get into, but like I came back, there's no way I'm letting these kids do towel drills. Right. And like, I have a pocket radar, I'm pulling it out so that we can track radar and bull, uh, velo and bullpens. So I can see, I can ramp kids up. I can see how they're doing. Yeah, the the guy that they're like old pitching coaches in his seventies, like no, 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 like we don't track any any velocity. It's like what are, what are we doing? Like how do we know if we're getting better? <laughs> well, that throw looked harder. That is stupid. Like yep, it looked harder. Give me like some like actual like evidence there. Like you you yep. can tie that to a, an actual quantifiable number of of are you actually throwing harder? We don't have to rely on your eyes. 
uh, to do that. So that was like a really eye-opening experience. And then uh, the my finale there uh, was um, I told some kids to uh, to just not bunt and tell the coach they missed the sign because uh, you know <laughs> I'm, I'm, we we never bunt here. And uh, yeah, yep. coach coach got big mad that uh, that I was like, yeah, just tell me you missed the sign, like. We're not, we're not, bunting isn't going to do you any good. You want to swing the bat faster? Here's don't bunt I, it. Yeah. Here's what I tell our guys. It's like, you can't not bunt. You can't, but so what you have to do is you have to make it look like you tried really hard. Yeah. To bunt it and you yeah. just missed. Yeah. And then get mad. Like yeah. get mad at yourself. Get mad. Like yeah. You there gotta, you go. You've got to yeah. get mad at yourself. Like you yeah. got to like, you know, kick some dirt and, and whatever, like, or just pull it back and like, whatever and then get mad at you gotta get you gotta you gotta get mad at yourself like, yeah this is my mistake was trusting kids. the kids to to lie to the coach without like smiling and laughing and that, that yeah. was my mistake yeah like, <laughs> yeah it became sure. real obvious no. that that uh coach jeremy had uh had told them all to just miss the sign intentionally so <laughs> oops <laughs> i i we had this kid one time who's still with us uh, it was actually carson uh that we came to drive line with um his, he played for, a, when he was like 11 or 12, he played for somebody. This was Ford's dad. Just was like, enough is enough. I'll do this. I've never played baseball. I'm just going to lean on Chad and do this, which was like a pretty good idea by him. But he used his coach used to tell him all the time to stop hitting the ball in the air. And so I'm like, well, that's not going to work. But you have to kind of like appease him. So here's what you're going to do. Like every rocket that you hit, that's in the air you just can like kind of get mad at yourself like dang it dang it you know instead of hitting it on the ground hard just get mad at yourself when yeah. you like square one up driven give, in a, give a little bit of eyewash yeah daggone it man it's my bad you know <laughs> you gotta play I'll it up try you harder i'll try harder bunting. yeah you gotta play up the bunting you gotta play up the you gotta play up the anti-ground ball approach Talk about though, you know. Talk about what are two or three things that you think that Devin and the academy does really, really good? Because I think I have my ideas. That it would be really easy for a youth coach or somebody running a youth travel team or teams can do better. Yeah, for sure. So uh, number one, first and foremost, just communication. Like we do a, such a good job communicating with parents, uh, have really good retention rates. And like, uh, do I envy Devin's, uh, Slack channel missed me uh, messages? No, 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 no. Like I don't, <laughs> uh, but that's like a really important thing that these parents feel I'm like sure. they have an outlet and they have some control here. Um, one of the things like the number two, I guess, which kind of branches off everything really branches off his communication, but just like the unconditional love that, that we have for these kids that we show these kids, like that is not something that is uh, there at most places, right? Like I never in my life had a baseball coach who like told me, I don't care if you strike out, I still love you. Never. I don't care. I don't care if you walk 10 straight guys on the mound. I still love you. No, what they were yelling, throw strikes or don't strike out, right? Like, yeah. like stuff like that, yeah. where it's that, that, you know, that's, that's not very helpful. Um, and it's cliche, but like, they don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care is a real thing, especially like with younger kids, they're going to put in more investment if they know how much you care. 
And like they put enough pressure on themselves. Their parents put enough pressure on them. They don't need that from the coach. Yep. And, and we do a really good job at driveline of, of making sure that that's not the case. Every single kid has a, a little card that they carry with them that has in giant words printed on it, relax, breathe, have fun. It's just a game. I tell them during practice, you might've seen it. I tell them during games, Hey, pull out your card. If I see heads hanging, if I see anybody upset with something, pull out your card. And they know they stop whatever they're doing. They pull their card out of the back pocket. They look at it. They take a deep breath and they reset themselves. That doesn't happen in other places. Like it's that kind of stuff that that is what I think like really separates us and why kids get better and they keep coming back and they have fun. And it's just a a really good environment that we build um, that makes them want to be there. Like there are a lot of places and I've seen it firsthand with youth baseball where those kids just don't want to be there. They're not having a good time. They're not having fun. And like in the year of our Lord, 2022, there are so many other ways you can spend your time. A hundred percent. And like, if you're not having fun immediately when you're, when you have the choice as to what you want to do and mom and dad aren't driving you to practice anymore, you're not going to do that anymore. Like you're just, you're going to choose something else. If you're not, if you're not having fun playing baseball and, and that, like, obviously we do a really good job at the Academy. Like Devin, you know, we'll throw the the stats at you of how much our, our athletes improve. And that is all true. Like our athletes get way better year yep. over year. I believe uh, that. But it's just like, that is what I believe like really separates us is just the, the communication and like the appreciation that we have for those kids. Um, and, and the families is, is really what sets us apart. Do you- I might have, I might have dreamed this up. This might have been a driveline academy thing. This might have been a something else thing that I saw somewhere else. But I have a real problem with. I understand after being on the circuit for a year with my daughter, and my son. Everybody can't play from a skill perspective. Everybody can't play at that level. But I have a real problem with like cutting kids too like if a 10 year old kid comes out and wants to play baseball i'm gonna cut him like i don't think so i don't know if i heard Devin say that like there's gonna be a developmental yeah team and then a tournament team is that something is that a thing yeah yep so my 13 u kids there are there uh are 30 of them 30 plus and uh, obviously it's a little too much for one team so the initial goal was uh either one competition team, one tournament team and uh, two development teams or two tournament teams and one development team. However, we were going to break that apart. Um, The positive problem that we had was we didn't really have that many kids that we felt like, Hey, you probably are not ready to play in a tournament and we need you to be on the developmental team and and work a little bit there. So we end up having, we have two teams right now. They're both tournament teams. Um, I coach the A team with one of the other, uh, driveline trainees actually coaches the the b team uh and the b team's got like 17 or or 18 guys so when they go to a tournament they're not going to take that whole roster they're going to take 13 or 14 and and uh, there's going to be some guys whether it's like hey you didn't show up to enough practices in the last couple weeks uh so like this guy's going to get the playing time over you or like hey you're just not necessarily ready to play in a tournament but yeah we we don't cut um under 14 for sure. We, I think we might cut at the high school level. We do cut at the high school level. Just that. 
I get that. Yeah, you know, but um, that's, yeah, that's my okay. age group, we don't cut. And like, honestly, like when we were breaking down the teams, there was one kid who really, truly want, like there are, there are kids that are like, all right, they're probably going to just punch out every time if they're in the tournament, but like, they're not a danger to themselves. Like we had one kid that like, I'm somewhat worried that he could hurt himself if, if we threw him in a tournament. Nobody has gotten better than that kid. Out of all 30 of our kids, nobody has made more gains since right. we started in September than that kid. And like the other kids are talking about it and noticing it. They went nuts. I don't know if you, uh, there's that video that Devin loves to, to talk about from that's years old with uh, one of our trainees who that ever like he's on the bump doing live ABs or plyo below actually not live ABs. And he hits, he throws it. He hits like, I think it was like 80 or 81 and everybody goes nuts. And it was like, yep. yeah, we don't just care about velocity. We care about the journey. And like, we know where this kid started from. So we know what 80 meant to that kid. And we were in the gym Tuesday. We had the A team and the B team. I'm with my kids in the, in the cages and we had switched. We like, we do throwing while they do hitting and then we flip. So they're doing like throwing and defense. My guys are in the cages and I just hear a raucous commotion. I have no idea what's going on. Like screaming, yelling. Turns out this kid, they play gold glove, right? Like, you know, make an area you're out. So like yeah. last person standing, he won. He beat all the <laughs> other kids. And they went nuts. Like these kids were just all over him, like slapping him on the back, pounding him. And it's like, yeah, like you don't get that at other places. That's Whether like the kid gets cut baseball. immediately or yep. the coaches don't treat him well and, and the rest of the play. Because especially at that age, the attitude of the coaches and how coaches treat players, the kids are just going to pick up that exact attitude. So if the coach like is like, ah, oh, this kid kind of sucks. Like I'm not going to spend as much time with him. Like I'm not going to pay enough like attention. The kids pick up on that real quick. And then they treat the kid like that too. Right. Yeah. So um, that's just something that we do like a really good job with, with like not leaving any players behind. Like if you want to be here and you want to play baseball, like we want to coach you. I don't care how good you are. Like we're, we're going to make you better and, and better might still not be good enough to make your high school team. 100%. We don't care. Like as long as you're having fun and you want to come and you want to be here and you're not taken away from, from other kids by like having a bad attitude. Yeah. We're not going to cut you. I, you know, that's something that I really, again, it goes back to again, something I suck at mostly. I'm trying to get better at, I've made a commitment since I come back from driveline to communicate better with our players, with our people. Like that's the most important thing about that place. It's like how good the communication between parents, players, trainers, everything is. You know, how much everybody is kind of on the same page. To your point about the goal, like that's the coolest thing about baseball. Like that is the coolest thing is the camaraderie with teammates. And I tell our dads this, quit worrying about which team you play for. Just find a group of people that you like being around and then try to get as good as you can get. Yes. And then see where it goes. That's it. Yep. You know, and there's such a premium. I This is easier on the East Coast or the West Coast than it is on the East Coast because West Coast, there's a little more uh, creative minds, open minds about things that being different. Yep. On the East Coast, and you're from Chicago, so the Midwest probably too, is the traditional mind. The traditional mind is – so beholden, yep. you know, I told the kid that said, I want to do it. I'm like, 
you're probably 25 years from doing what they do at Driveline, the Driveline Academy in Charlotte, North Carolina, at least. Yeah. Because, and I, and winning, like you can't go, you can't go out every weekend and go 0 and 40 and get your brakes beat in every weekend. Like I get that. Right. When I say winning's not important, I'm not talking about going 0 and 40 and getting your brakes kicked in every weekend. Yep. It's funny though. And I wanted to get Marty Smith on before uh, during Christmas before the season started. Maybe I'll get him after the season. But, you know, he talked about how three, three, four years ago, maybe he stopped spending so much time on these little things that, like, he felt like win and loss games, bunting, coverages, yada, yada, yada. He just focused all his time on making his players better. And he's won more in the last three years than he's ever won in his life. It's funny, even at a youth level, when you focus on just making the players better, how many more games you win? Mm-hmm. And it's like winning may not be the goal, but my guess, and Devin is probably here with us, is year two in Driveline Academy, we're going to win a lot of games. We're going to win a whole lot of games because our players are better. While it's not a premium, while it's not our, our top-end goal, it is an important piece. Like, it is. Like, you can't just lose every game. And yeah. I think that's what people – hear when they hear me say to youth levels that winning is important you know in here in the south you would say that and be like i'm out i'm out of here we mean we're not going to try to win it's like well I mean, we are going to try to win you're trying to win is a thing but winning is not you know because i have to explain this to parents a lot my perspective is very different while it looks like this game means a lot you paid to get in. There's an umpire behind the play. There's an umpire in the field. There's uniforms. There's really nice uniforms. While it looks like this game is very important, this game is not important. You know, it's like basketball. We just got done with basketball. It's like, guys, these, these games don't matter. It's like my dad My dad played Division One college basketball, and I'm very open in basketball to my kids, like shooting hard shot, like shoot threes. Yeah. Like shoot threes, like bomb threes. Because, and my dad's like, well, it's a low percentage shot for a pro, much less a 10 year old. I'm like, yeah, but there's no less cost than missing that shot than when they're 10. So you might as well try them now. Yep. You're never going to get better at them than now. Yep. Like, there's no less cost in losing games than now. I know you paid a big fee to get here, and I know you paid a big fee to get on this team, and I know that there's here, but. The cost of losing, like the cost of failing is very low. So anytime the cost of failing is very low, you should fail a lot because you learn a lot. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And we, it's one of those things at, at driveline where like, so last weekend we had a, a doubleheader, um, drop both games, should have won, but, but drop yeah. both games, had more K's than the other team, uh, had more hits than the other team. Uh, the umpires, both separately told me that uh, our arms were just like way better than the other team, but we walked some dudes. We walked some yep. dudes and the other team didn't want to swing. And, and it's, they, they were afraid of the velocity, so they didn't want to swing. And then we didn't throw strikes. So we just walked the house and it's like, this is an important lesson that like we tell them, you know, winning is not important. And that's, it is true. It doesn't make them feel any better after dropping a double header. So, and it's like, nope. that's where the coaching aspect comes in. We're like, 
what is the message your coaches are giving? Are your, are your coaches really frustrated by losing? And like in turn, is that frustrating the players and like they're taking the loss way harder or like after the game, I point out all of the positive stuff that we did. Right. And like, there was a lot of positives to take away from that game. Don't think about like the walks necessarily. Like this is a big thing for me because I came from a scouting background before I got here. But like I, when I was working for the scouting bureau, I once drove from New York city to MIT, which MIT is some rough baseball, but uh, I drove to, drove to MIT because there was a, a kid at, uh, at MIT uh, or at Harvard and Harvard was playing MIT at, yep. at, at MIT's field. Uh, drove like the six hours, stayed in a hotel, sat in the rain. Uh, the kid got walked every single at bat. Didn't take, uh, it took like one swing the entire series. And like, I drove all the way there to see this kid just get walked. Uh, cause he was like a lot better. And that's like a really valuable lesson that like baseball has that no other sport has like, right. If you go to scout a football player, you're going to see them. You're going to see them make 60 plays if they're even, no matter what position they're at, like if they're an offensive lineman, you're yep. going to see 50 plays from an offensive lineman. You're going to see quarterback, whatever basketball, like you generally, like you might see a kid on an off shooting night, but like you'll, the skills will present themselves. I can show up as a scout to a baseball game and there's not a single ball hit to you. You don't get a single strike thrown to you. How do I know if you're good? And that is all comes down to like how you approach the game, what your attitude is, how you work before the game, how you work during the game, how you work after the game, how you interact with your teammates and coaches, all that kind of stuff is more important in, in like baseball than any other sport because of the level of failure that you have. Like if you can't control the amount of failure you have, the things that you can control become like 30 times more important. And that's the kind of stuff that like I talk to my kids about all the time is like, I, I don't care if you just walk three guys, like take a, take a deep breath, go back out there and be aggressive and go get them. Like there's, nobody other than you can, can control like your attitude. Uh, and like things are snowball really fast and it can get really lonely on the mound. Uh, if you just yes. continue to walk dudes. Um, yes. and like, I want to be out there and, and help you. I can't, I can only come out there once. The second time I come, I got to take you. So like you have to learn. And that's like some of the pulling out their card, reading it, relax, breathe, whatnot. But like, you have to learn that, like, you got to get real comfortable with failure and like learn from it. And it's a good thing. But a lot of it is in like how your how the people you look to as authority features deal with your failure, because like that paints the perception for a lot of kids. So like if your dad yells at you every time you fail, you're going to be pretty afraid to fail so that your dad doesn't yell at you again. Sure. For and sure. if you're no. if your dad is like, hey, like that is a heck of a cut and like you didn't hit the ball, but like, man, you were trying to do some damage and I love it like the kid's got a smile on his face and he's going in and taking the big ass hack next time too. And like, that is way more important than having a kid be down about failing. Cause if you don't like failing baseball, not your sport, not yeah, your, maybe you're going to struggle. Maybe not the thing for you. Yeah. And it's, you know, gosh, school doesn't blend in to this well, especially at the youth age because failing is such a, the word failure and failing is such a, like, it's such an avoidable thing, you know, and, and they start to wrap their, their self-worth up into succeeding and failing. And it's hard. It's really hard. It's a hard message to deliver because they just want to get knocks and they just want to punch tickets and they just want, like, they just want to, like, win games and fun. And it's fine. It's fine. Just, you know, 
it doesn't make you a worse baseball player. Like that's what I try to tell people when I in in the people that I train that I don't have an academy. It's like just because you went over four man doesn't take away from the fact that look what you've done in the last six months. You know, it's the time of year in my world where kids have trained in our gym. They're starting to get back to their teams. They're 10, 10, 50% better, faster, stronger, throwing the ball harder. But getting back into it, it may be a little rough. And parents, like, I told one kid the other day, I was like, look, dude, I'm at home in the evening time. I'm just trying to have a drink, watch some TV. Your dad's calling me because you can't hit. Like, let's just relax a bit and, like, you know, not press the panic button too much right now. Yep. And it's really easy to just, like, abandon all of that stuff the second the result – abandon your process the second the results, like, don't make you happy. And, like, sticking with that process uh, is really difficult, and it's why there's so few uh, professional baseball players and people that are, like, really, really good. On the youth academy level. Right at this point in my my own career, the only way that I will train anyone below 12 is if your whole team comes. And the coach, I will work with the coach to implement the training that you need across the whole team. And you may have seen some of my team accounts in track and how I build team accounts in track. So I don't have to create individual ones because I don't know how long they're going to be there. So I just build a team account with a couple – important categories and we build it like that but it's hard for one kid to like not show up because if you make the whole team 10 or 15 percent better and they go out and the whole team puts this together like they're winning like they're winning more than they did and like that one kid who who can't who's not who who maybe had a rough weekend you know can't disregard the fact that he's also 10 or 15 percent better than he was and it's like they won, so they stay around longer if you do it that way. Yeah, um, 100%. That's, that's again, I don't again, I don't know that I have desire to run an academy. If I thought that I had the level of pieces, that's what's so impressive about the Driveline Academy is just the parts that make it up, too. Devin is certainly fantastic, but the people within it, yourself, all the, all the buy-in from everyone in it, I feel like we're all marching in the same direction after the same things doing this is fantastic. Yeah. I mean, there's, that would be the next hurdle. Yeah, There's not zero correlation to like Devin being the president of baseball ops and like each of the, the age groups being like a minor league team, right? Like he's got to be able to communicate with all the coaches. He's got to be able to uh, like make all the players better, not just, you know, the top couple guys on the, on the, on the double yeah, yeah. or, or whatnot. And like, it's can be very difficult if you don't have like a, a very easy line of communication. Um, it can be like very difficult to, to line that up where like my 13 U kids, when they move up to 14 U next year, they're going to get the same message, different coach, maybe, I don't know, maybe it'll be, nope. me. but like, it's going to be the same message. And like that message is consistent across all of us. And like, that's a really, really hard thing to do. Um, especially when like a lot of our coaches are trainees and they're like younger guys that are like, you know, yep. this is something they're doing in their, in their free time, in addition to training at driveline. Um, so like, they're not, they don't have kids. They're in most cases, they're not here for like long-term stuff. They're here to like 
help these kids get better and, and stick around and, and maybe make an, a little extra money. So like there's a decent amount of turnover and being able to like every year line up all those coaches and like make sure we're all, we all have the same message. Like I said, there's, there's a decent amount of parallels to like president of baseball ops to a bunch of minor league coaches. And Devin is yep. really, really good at that where we have the tools that we need. Uh, and I know he's got my back. If I ever, if a parent ever, you know, gets, mad at me because I didn't pitch their kid because his pulse numbers were too high. Like I know Devin's got my back in that situation. And like, yeah. that also like makes a, a large difference uh, from like a coaching standpoint. Again, this is a, another piece to the technology of technology only informs the decision. Why'd you make, why do you pitch my kid? Well, here, here's why. And this yep. is the standard that we set across the board. Yep. No one's kid would have pitched in this situation, not just yours, but no one's. I, you know, it's funny. I was talking to one of the dad, the dad, Sam, the guy that came to Seattle, that I came to Seattle with, um, we were talking about bunting and he coaches with a guy who likes to bunt and he got a runner on first who could have stolen second, but they bunted him over. So what information did you give him? It's like, well, I told him bunting was a bad idea. Okay. What information did you give him to show that it was a good idea? Well, I didn't. Okay, here's what you do next time. Because Sam didn't play baseball. I said, get the catcher, catcher's pop time, two, three. Get the pitcher's delivery time to the plate, one, five. Add them together. And then tell Tim next time that we got 3.8 seconds and Evan runs in 3.4. We can run. Yeah. That's just data. That's just technology informing a decision. Yes. That's just another piece. You know, bunting's a bad idea. Well, why? It worked. It's like, well, there was a better way to do it. And here's, you know, here's the information that I can give to you. Yep. The, the, it worked piece is, is, is so tough too. Cause like, yeah, it's hard to argue with the evidence that like you bunted and the, the third baseman threw it 10 feet over the first baseman's head. Yep. He was trying to make a nice play. And now the guy's on third and a run scored and like, it is hard for me to tell you that that uh, your you had a bad idea uh, because yep. it clearly worked. Uh, what is your goal here, right? Like that's is your goal to make these players better? Because that's not it. That's not going to do it. Is your goal to like win games? Maybe. And like that goes back to like you know making sure that you and your coach have the same goals and that your coach's goal isn't to win at all costs and not to I, develop I those players. I tell people this on that example. It's like, you ever play blackjack? Yeah. Well, you can hit on 20. You can hit on 20. And if an ace rolls up. You look smart. Was it a, was it a good play? Yeah. No. That was yeah. a terrible play. Yeah. It just happened to work out for you. Yeah. You know, it's like because you bunted it and the, the pitcher threw it into right field, that's like hitting on 20. Yeah. It worked out phenomenally well where you hit blackjack, but it was still a dumb play. And normally, if I'm in Vegas at a blackjack table and someone does that, I get up and walk away from the table. But I, I, you, you can't do that in, in yeah. the middle of a youth baseball game, right? Like, you, you can't just, like, get up, walk away from the table and wash your hands of, of this amateur yeah. who just sat down, right? But yeah. uh, that's, that's what we deal with. That's the, hard, that's the hardest piece about – that's the hardest piece to the top listening to A-Rod on Sundays. It's like A-Rod. Analytics don't mean anything. It's just informing a what the correct decision should be. It doesn't mean it's going to work out that way. 
Yep. You know, I like, I, like statistics, I like statistics and I like probabilities in a very hillbilly way. And me and Sam have been playing these, these college basketball parlays. And I said, well, if you can show me the statistical probability that this is going to work, I don't care what the teams are. Just show me what the statistical probability is. Okay, 72%. Does that mean that I should put my money here? Yes. Okay, I'm going to put my money here. That doesn't mean it's going to win. That right. just means that it's the right decision. Uh, I think that's what gets represented a bunch in just data and statistics and analytics. Is like it doesn't mean it's going to work. Right. Right. And it and means that this is the right decision. Yeah. And you know, you get into the the problem like people like a Rod. Like it's just so disingenuous. Right. Like yeah. the the guy didn't bunt himself. The guy, the guy took steroids to hit more homers and then is on ESPN every Sunday night telling people uh, to not do that, to not hit homers. And it's just, it, like, I don't truly know why he's doing it. I wish I had a, a better answer there. But, uh, yeah, it's just it, – it blows my mind to hear, like – I think – you know what I think? I think he's trying to connect with people, writers particularly – because they know that they're going to vote him into the Hall of Fame, who probably didn't hit homes, yeah. whose coach probably told them the exact crap that he's saying, you know, and he's just trying to connect with them. But, you know, most people weren't very good at baseball, and that's fine. You know, most people were told just because you can't hit homers, you know, you should bunt or you should be a contact hitter. Yep. And it's like, well, I get, but doubles are good too. And it's no secret today in 2022 how to develop bat speed. Right. So here we are. Yep. We're faced with this decision of like, there's no more secrets, really. Yeah. And coming from like the scouting background, like all of those terms that we use are quantifiable. Yep. Like it, it, uh, it always frustrated me when there was like the, the anti-technology bias among a lot of older guys. Um, because like you use radar guns, like, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't, I don't know. Like you, you, you literally carry around a piece of technology and use it constantly. Um, so like, or a it, stopwatch. what's that stopwatch or, you got in your pocket doing? Exactly. Exactly. So like, it's, it's all like similar in that you're, you're not, you, you want to make sure what your eyes are seeing is actually correct. And like, you need some, some evidence to, to support that and back that up. Um, and like you said it earlier that uh, you ask a lot of questions, right? Like you, there was uh, a little hint of like, uh, you've definitely been told that you ask too many questions in your life and, and to stop asking questions and that you're annoying or like, you kind of like caveated that with like, I'm just dumb. So I ask a lot of questions and like somewhere along the line, someone taught you that it was dumb to ask questions. That is not true. Like that's yep. a, that's a really good thing to be able to ask questions. like, one thing that I think about a lot that someone said to me a long time ago is when you hear someone mispronounce a word, that mean, that doesn't mean they're dumb. It actually might mean they're smarter than you because they learned that word through reading it. They didn't learn the word through hearing it. Yep. They learned the word through reading it. They sounded it out. And this is the first time they're realizing that their reading skills like sounded it out wrong. Like if you hear a word, you're going to just say it the same. You might not be able to spell it or you might not know what that word is if you see it and it's spelled differently than you think it is. But like you, a lot of people immediately jump to the conclusion that like, oh, what an idiot mispronouncing that word. Like everybody knows that yeah. word. 
And uh, it's like, yeah. oh, like he read it in a book and and didn't know that it was pronounced a different way. So like you never, you never know, right? And like the, I think that is part of it with like a lot of these old school coaches is you were like shamed into not asking questions at some point in your life. And like a lot of the new school technology. And like, I saw this when I was in pro ball, like the, you know, the nerds, the, the, that are ruining baseball, like the analytics guys, like yep. the approach that many of us, cause I'll include myself in that group of people uh, take is to shame them into like agreeing with us. Like you're an idiot for thinking that, that, bunting is successful rather than saying like, Hey, uh, this kid's got 2.5 seconds to the plate and the pop time is 1.8. So you've got X amount of seconds to steal. We say like, you're an idiot. And like, Hey, what's one way to get someone to immediately stop listening to you is tell them they're wrong or stupid. Yep. And like, not a problem specific to baseball, but like that message, uh, which was lost a long time ago, I feel like, and is, and I don't know if we'll ever like really get that message back. But like there we're on the same side here. Like you're not an idiot because you don't understand this because like uh, I one of the reasons I came to driveline was because I firmly believe in the statement that if you're the smartest person in the room, find a different room. Like yep. I am not even remotely close to the smartest person in, in any room I'm in at driveline. And it makes me better every day because of it. And like we have to understand that a lot of these coaches come into rooms with us and think that we're the smartest person in those rooms when like, it doesn't feel good to not be the smartest person in that room. And like to shame the other people for, yeah. for like not being as smarter or whatever um, is it's on us in a lot of cases for not simplifying that and finding a, a better way to like bridge that gap and, and get that information to them. Cause it's information that they want and that they already use. We know that they yeah. collect velo like, they, we've been using radar guns forever. Like this isn't, they're not anti collecting feedback. They're anti being told they're stupid. Yep. Or feeling stupid. Or feeling stupid. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm with you. Everybody, especially grownups, they get very defensive in, in that, you know, I get, I catch myself too many times having a conversation in a way, in ways that I shouldn't. You know, I should just shut up and listen. I thought we were having an open conversation and just we weren't. Yeah. You know, I, I thought we were having a conversation where I could share my perspective. Yeah. And and we weren't. Yeah. And it's like, oh, gosh, Chad, you should shut up. Yep. You know, because through asking questions, I've said this. I, I am not an academically smart person. I am just somebody that has learned a lot from asking questions, being curious, using Google, using you. It's like, I don't remember what I was talking to you about. I don't, I, we were talking about something. I was like, I could probably code that. And you laughed, <laughs> which I was completely kidding. It was some really complicated, really was, complicated. I'm pretty sure it was like an API call. Yeah. yeah. That I thought should have an easy solution. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It seems easy enough. I could probably code that, but I mean, that's kind of how I roll. It's like, why not? Why not? I've taught myself to do a lot of things in in just being curious. Does that make me smart? I, I don't know. I don't think so. It's just I've learned a lot. So like so I said, I when a lot I, of people can learn a lot. Yeah, when I when I left the commissioner's office and and I said I, I went to like learn how to code it a little bit, like I've had a lot of people ask me, like, so how did you like 
learn how to use that software? Like, was it books? Was it like, I was like, sure. I, I got some books. I, I went on some online classes, but like it, the, the number one most important thing is like asking good questions. Like no, most people do just stare at a data set and they, they're like, okay, like what now? Like, well, if you don't have any information you want to learn from this, I can't help you. Like start with something I want to know. And like that question could be, how am I getting better? Am I getting better? Maybe that's the question that I have is like, am I getting better? I have a, a data set of information. How do I know if I'm getting better? I asked that question and now I can go try to find the answer to that question within this data. If you don't have a question to start that off with and you're just like staring at a bunch of data and you don't really know what to do with it, that it's paralysis by analysis. And then, and then you're just like collecting data and, and your Rapsodo and your, your KVEST or whatever else you use is just a, a very expensive paperweight if like you're not asking the right questions from the information that you're actually like collecting. It's funny. Uh, the, the podcast this week is Rachel Folden. And I, I haven't done a good job of putting out the short teasers just because I get lost and busy doing so many different things. But she commented the first day. It's like, it's funny because a conversation I had with you like five or six years ago completely changed my coaching career. And that's not because maybe that I gave her great information, it's, but, but because I made her ask a question of herself that maybe she had never asked before. And I hope in all of these podcasts and all of these conversations that I have, my interactions on Twitter, maybe you ask yourself a question that you never thought to ask before. Uh, I'm just giving you the best information that I know how to give you. Uh, my perspectives and technologies and things are different than probably what you have, but this is how I arrived at this. I mean, anything that we're doing now, training-wise, is not guessed at. It's not guessed at like why we're doing it. Yep. You know, and, and I think, and I think is and we can we can start to wind down. But again, it's people. How often in the in the in the youth academy do you have conversations with parents who want to draw the parallel of this one to one relationship between why their kid failed in this one instance, tying it to this one one magical movement that they would discover if you just gave it to them. So not never, but less than most other places because of the really good communication up front that we have with the parents um, in like making sure they're like, hey, we're going to tell you what's important. And like, we are very upfront that like the two metrics we're going to show your kids. And like, we talk about this, we have parent meetings with the athlete as well. So it's me, uh, the parents and the athlete. Uh, we do them pretty frequently. Uh, we talk to parents pretty frequently they're in the slack channel whatnot throwing velocity and bat speed those are the two things that we are selling out to to improve for your kid and like everything is tied to those two you can go in their track profile they have every one of our kids mocaps there's a mocap report in their track profile i have had parents ask me questions about the mocap report i'm like come on man kids 13 yep we, we, we do mocap just because they think it's cool. Like we're not, we're not going to start making mechanical tweaks on a 13 year old. Like we're going to let no. their body self-organize and, and figure it out. And like yeah, the, the, the two driver. things that we're tracking and that we want to improve are throwing velocity and bat speed. And, and here's an easy way to see if your kid is improving and like they know, and they're able to like, see that I still get questions a decent amount of the time from parents that are like, yeah, I think he's a little like, 
too, he, he doesn't use his wrists enough when he throws or like stuff like that. Like we, <laughs> we need to like tweak some mechanics. Like, no, 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 no. We're, we're not at that point. Like we, we've got a while to get before we're like really getting into the weeds and, and like tweaking mechanics on your son who throws 64 miles an hour. Right. Who weighs 120 pounds and can't lift the trap bar. Correct. Off the ground. Correct. And we do, our athletes get 80 minutes a week in the weight room. Like you probably saw that at the Academy. Like yep. they end every practice with, with 40 minutes in the weight room. And like they, that is probably the place they're making the most gains. Like, 100%. like 100%. they are much bigger now. And even just form wise, they're so their form is so much better now than it was a few months ago. Like, I never had any formal training on lifting weights at any point in my life. Just not, it wasn't something that like my high school baseball team emphasized in any way. Right. And like these kids at 13 years old are, are already like way ahead of where I am at, at 31 of like understanding like how to, move your body and like technique and stuff like that. And am I jealous? Yeah, absolutely. But like they, sure. yeah, of course that's uh, the, the level of jealousy that I have when I see these kids with like black, like one of the kids a week and a half ago asked me, uh, what was your like max exit below when you were, when you were playing? I was like, I just, it's like, yeah, we, uh, we, we didn't, we didn't track that. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, we had like, the tools. Yeah. I was like, we, I, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to age myself here, but like, Driveline didn't exist when I played high school baseball. Like these things didn't exist. There was no way. And they were like, well, how'd you know if you were getting better? And I was like, that is a fantastic question that like (laughs) you as a 13 year old should be asking and way more coaches should ask that as well. It's like, if we aren't tracking this information, how do we know if they're getting the kids better? And like uh, the most often answer is like, oh, we don't know. And like, honestly, we don't care as long as we win games. Yep. For sure. No. And we don't care who who we have to push to the way, you know, to the side to, to go, you know, recruit or, or or get another biologically advanced kid that's going to help us do that. Because we yeah. don't – I don't care about this underdeveloped, you know, thir- chronological 13-year-old who's actually biologically probably 11. 11, yeah. I, I don't care. I don't care that he – how good he is where it's not going to be my problem in three months because I'm going to replace him, which is my whole gripe. One of my gripes, but one of my, one of the hardest things to do, it's impossible to do where I live because I don't live in a big place. And then to get people to understand, it's like, there are no good players here. Okay. None. So the ones we have are the ones we're going to roll with and we're going to try to make them better. And if we lose, it's not like we can, it's not like you're going to go find another biologically advanced team for your biological 10 year old who needs to play 12 you. It's not happening. Yep. So, and like we, when we have outside field time, we rented out at the high school. They got 90 foot base pass. We had uh, this like double header Saturday and uh, the other coach was like, yeah, my kids can't play on 90. I was like, they're, they're 13. Like, you understand they're going to have to very, very soon. And like, they're like, no, they, they can't play on 90. And he's like, your kids play on 90. And I was like, yeah, we haven't practiced on 90. And he's like, doesn't that like mess them up? And I was like, well, when you move it in 10 feet, they can throw it still. Like if you practice <laughs> at 80, when you move it back to 90, like 
maybe they're only throwing 80 feet and now like the throws are all short and like they can't make it all the way over there because they've trained their arm to throw 80. If my kids are training their arm to throw 90, when we pull that back, they're going to be better than your kids on an 80 foot field. They're going to be able to make that throw back. And like, you know, we talk about why do they develop baseball players in the, in the Dominican and, and in other countries with a lot less resources than we have here. And it's like, Oh, well maybe if you have less resources, you have to self-organize a little bit more and like, you have to make it work with what you have. And like, I don't have the ability to go and grab a second set of pillows from my trunk and move the base pads in 10 feet. Yep. So we're just going to play on 90 because that's all we have. And like, that's what we got. That's what, that's, that's what we got. And, and like the, like, no, 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 no. Like we, if we play on, on 90, we might lose this game. Well, like your players also might get better. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just throwing that one out there too. Like right. they might also get better. Like you never know. No, it's a hundred percent, a hundred percent in we might lose this game. Like that's the whole stick and driver of the whole thing. And again, people will hear me say that. People hear me say that and think that I don't care about winning. I do. I care a lot about trying to win. I don't really care if you actually win or not, but trying to win is really important. Like trying to play your best, trying to win the game is super important. Like I get that winning losing the outcome at 13 just doesn't matter that much just the cost of failing is so low yeah it's like it's like if i told you you could lose you could lose i'm gonna give you a hundred thousand dollars at 10 years old and you can lose it all or i can give you a hundred thousand dollars with a wife two kids and a mortgage and you can lose it all which one are you gonna take yeah i'm gonna lose it all at 10 because it doesn't matter. In 10, I got a lot of time left. Like, yeah, of course. That's baseball, too. Yep. Like, it doesn't matter if you lose today. I'm sorry that you played your best, you tried your hardest, and lost. I really am. But it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't mean anything. There's more games. There's more time. To wrap up an adult, as an adult, to wrap up, like, your self-identity and your self-worth in this is just a stupid practice. And the kids take and that frankly, from, from you. They, they take yeah. their cues from the adults. And, like, if you right. care way too much about winning or losing a youth baseball game, guess who else is going to care way too much about winning or losing a youth baseball right. game? Right. And, I, again, quite frankly, adult, adults just tie it to the money they've spent on it. And they don't want to – like, I just put money on my kids' youth sports with the understanding, like, I don't care what the outcome is. This is just what I'm doing. This is what I have to do to get them to play. Yeah. You know, I wish you were different. I wish it wasn't like that, but it is the way it is. You know, I wish we still played the street and I wish ecological dynamics still happened in the front yards of neighborhoods everywhere, but it doesn't. Yeah. So, A, I have to pay for to create ecological dynamic systems approach for them to self-organize at practice for a coach not to get in their way. I just have to pay for that now. Which whatever that's what I'm here to do. Yep. So 100%. that's what. We do. Uh, I, 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 are you a Marvel movie person? I was gonna say, is this the Marvel question? Is this what's is this way it's coming? Are you the Are you a Marvel movie? Oh yeah. You watch Marvel oh, yeah. movies. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I this is uh, your favorite Marvel movie. So this is this is like it's maybe recency bias, but man, No Way Home was uh was awesome. The new Spider Man movie. Spider Man. Yeah, the new one, and I and thought, it's. I thought that there's, I thought it was just a lot, you know. I didn't love. I have to remember who I'm getting. I'm almost forty. I'll be thirty nine in June. Yeah, 
now I have to remember a character from a movie 20 years ago um, and a villain that had this character and this character, this guy was in this movie. And it's like, God dang, guys, this is just a freaking lot. Like, this is a whole lot. Like, that movie went a lot of different ways. And I'm like, I get I, Endgame because, like, there was a movie every six months that was just – That led up to that. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I was 10 when, when the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man came out. And that was like, I saw Tobey Maguire in Boot Barn in Nashville, Tennessee. In Boot and Barn? I, what, yeah, when, there, like recently? This was probably four years ago. Wow. This was probably four years ago in Nashville, Tennessee. I, we were in downtown Nashville. I'm not a Boot Barn guy. The people I went in, to, I just followed some people into Boot Barn. My <laughs> son, who's now eight, it's probably three. He's taking a nap in my arms. Toby Maguire walks in. Like, that's Spider-Man. And he's about five foot tall. Yeah, he's small. Like, I could I could like yeah. I could like smash Spider-Man like right yeah. now. I'm 6'4, 220. I could like kill Spider-Man right now. Yep. That's why he was able uh, to play a teenager at 30 years old, because he's a uh, For sure. He's, he's a little yeah, small. No, I'm with you. I, but I, yeah, I, I, if if we're if we're if you would ask me before No Way Home came out, um and I promise I'm not just like bootlicking for Devin here, but uh, I, Civil War, which is what he said. It, like I do, it, like Civil War, Winter Soldier. It, they're they're like one and two for me. Most underrated Marvel movie in the whole collection. Yeah, yeah. The Winter elevator fight scene's incredible. The those are like one Marvel. two for me. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the new shows are good. The WandaVision is very good. Hawkeye, very good. Yeah. Um, liked Loki, Falcon Winter Soldier, very good. Like, the shows are good, too. New one's coming, too. What's the moon, newest moon, moon Knight? It's coming this month, I, I think. I still haven't watched, like, the Shang-Chi movie. That was pretty yeah. good. That one was pretty good, I too. I heard it was good. I this is crazy. Good. This is where we're at. We're like, and I, I grew up a, like a large comic book nerd. There's, I got a, a framed Batman puzzle on my wall here. But, uh... Like we're into to Marvel characters that nobody's ever heard of. I like know. They, they do so well with this that like they could just pull characters out of like their giant backlog and make a show and like millions of people are gonna watch it, even though nobody's ever heard of, of this character before. Still holding out hope that like in one of these Doctor Strange multiverse movies that that star that Robert Downey Jr. and Stark Iron Comes Man back. gets a little appearance. I just want an appearance. Like I just want that feeling again. Yeah, yeah. Like the like I the, just want that feeling. The feeling you got in the theaters when, uh, like, the train passes and and Captain America standing on the other side of the train, right? And, uh, yeah. In in Infinity War, we're just like, yep. oh, like let's go. All right, all right. I want yeah. that? Yeah. Yep. I want that. I want yeah. that feeling. I get or that. That for me, that'll be if if, I don't if know. you get an X Men appearance. I I I'm, I will be very yeah. very excited if there's like a Professor X or, or something like that. You'll sit up. You'll yeah. sit up in your seat in the movie theater. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm paying attention now. Yep. Yep. It's it's like, I, it will never be duplicated. I'm almost 40. I'm halfway-ish through my life. If the rest, if the rest of the years that I live out, if I ever get the feeling that I got when, when Tony snapped his fingers in the end game, when I knew it was over, if that ever happens again in a movie, I will be shocked. Uh, yeah. It won't happen again. Yeah. Like that fair. won't happen again. Like, that's fair. It's it it's incredible I, I did, how yeah, these I comic books cry. have done this. Yeah, I didn't cry. I cry I was just on the inside. I'm on like, the inside. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Like, wow. But it was yeah. a lot of things, man. Like a lot of things happened for me during that time. Like my children were born and then I watched all these movies. My son, like this was kind of the end of that. And so it was like all this, like for them, it was cool. Yeah. Um, uh, snap your fingers. First, first Iron Man came out. out of baseball. Yeah. Oh, I knew this question was what coming. Did what the the, the A Rod answer is untoppable. Um, <laughs> like no, no that question. Bleach, I think. Yeah, the the A Rod answer is untoppable. But like, and again, we might have some recency bias here. Although I probably would have said this even before uh, all of the the stuff that happened this week went down. But like, if I could snap my fingers and give ownership of teams to people who actually care about the sport of baseball, yeah. uh, instead of dudes who just want to like, if you think that the stock market is a better investment than a baseball team great go sell your baseball team and buy some stocks stop sure. ruining the sport that i love yeah so like if sure. i could snap my fingers and give it to like people who actually care i would well doesn't, even, doesn't you, even need to be me i'm not even asking for ownership for myself you know eric sim said almost the same thing you haven't heard that episode yet yep. but i said if you gave it to guys who liked baseball but who also wanted to make it a successful business venture for them. Yep. The guys that own the teams, if you ran your whatever business oh that my you God. built, you'd, you'd, be out of, you you'd be out of business. You would not have built that business. Nope. You would not, it would not have been as successful as it was because Correct. you were not running this as an efficient a business as you ran that. Because if you did, you would invest way more into player development. And you would invest way more into turning these little fringe investments. This guy you gave a thousand dollars that you then in turn traded for a million dollar piece that allowed you to win a World Series on a thousand dollar investment. Yep. Well, the, and that was one thing. Like when I was working in pro ball, that like I I had a very hard time squaring the circle of me getting a larger envelope of money for for meal money than players. Yeah. I was like, why, why, what, like that? I could eat at McDonald's and it wouldn't affect my, my performance. No, nope. for, for three meals a day, it wouldn't affect my performance in this job. I mean, maybe it would because I'd be spending a little bit more time in the bathroom, but like in yep. theory, it would not affect, like I will sit here and listen to players in the dugout talk about how many in and out burgers they smashed last night. <laughs> like what, what not it? Like, because the, the food that like, and we both years, like with the Rays and the Mariners, we had, chefs we had like people that were were there chefs or, or catering of some sort the mariners had had a chef and like they just wouldn't make like the chefs went home before or like right after the like right when the players started playing the game so there was like a little bit of pregame food and then nothing post game it's like well what what are we doing like maybe switch the chef's schedule so that he's here after game so that they have something to eat after the game yep. so that they don't go to in and out and and yep. talk about how they pounded four double stacks or whatever they call that in and out. But again, if the business, if the the owner of the business actually cared about those things, or like then the business itself would run better. And it's just the owners don't actually care about the operations of players and what how it they don't. They just want to own the team, which and, is fine. And, and that's the other thing when they talk about it as like an investment. If I had an investment. I would do everything in my power to make sure that investment came to fruition. Like when they let players drive like uh, DoorDash in the off season or like work UPS, right. or, like do things that aren't getting better at baseball. Yeah. You are lessening your investment. 
directly. Yep. And like, it is not that much money to like pay the players over the off season or like even, Hey, like you want to go to driveline, we'll pay for your drink. And like, yes, that is a push. Every team should send their players to driveline, but like you want to sure. go to, to any, any place to train and get better at baseball. Like we'll pay for it because we want you to do that. Cause that makes us more money. That makes you more valuable as yep. an investment. And like, yep. I, I don't, like you said, it's just not good business. Like if they ran, if they ran any other business like this, they, they wouldn't have a business anymore. And it's just like, no. I don't, I don't get how we're, how we wound up here. We're like, we just lose touch with them for six months and like expect them to, to come back ready for spring training, having spent a good off season training and developing and getting better. And we didn't do anything to help that. You know, it, it's a thing now, but I, I use this example often, you know, before NIL, like the football players at Alabama were making five figures, you know, you can't pay some minor league players like 30000 and give them a living stipend like a player at Alabama got. I mean, your organization is probably as big or bigger than Alabama's, and Alabama's probably carrying 100 football players, and you mm-hmm. probably have, I don't know, 200 minor leaguers or whatever. You know, yeah, some, something that, right? 200, 250, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't seem like that big a deal. No. But again, winning at Alabama, a big deal. You know, it helps the bottom line of Alabama. So we want the football players to be as good as they can be. Uh, not yep. minor league baseball. Correct. It's like, we don't actually care how good the players are. It's like, yep. what? What do you mean? This guy, I live this. And like, you know, it was up to me in the offseason to figure out how to get better. Yep. Come on, guys. You're on your own. There's no plan. There's nothing. There's no. not like a. Well, there was a plan. There was a book. Not well, all that, yeah, not yeah, skill wise, yeah. but like weightlifting wise. Right, right, right. They gave you like a, right. a like a giant, like a, a a full tree ream of paper of like yep. here are things we want you to do. Not like, hey, we're gonna sit down with you at the end of the season. We're gonna yep. break down how the season went. These are the yep. three things that we want you to work on in the off season. And like, yep. here are quantifiable goals for each of those three things. We want yep. you to be here, velo wise, you know, X Y Z, whatever it is, and then we can track that over the course of the off season and like, see if you're actually improving and getting better. And like, it's a weird notion. It's a weird notion. Also same thing with coaches. Like, yeah, a lot of coaches just spend the off seasons golfing and like they don't, or what most of them don't make enough money and have to work a second job in the off seasons, just like yep. the players do. And like, shouldn't we just be doing like professional development for these guys and like giving them as much, as many tools and resources as, as we possibly can in the off season so that they learn a new skill that they can bring back to our organization the next year. Like just stuff like that, where it's like at a, at a company, if they ran a company, they would definitely do things like that. They would. And they like, would. they just don't in baseball. And I, I don't really know why. I guess I the answer is they don't care. That's why I would say I'll snap my fingers and get them out. Get those guys out and get people in there that actually, care about baseball but also care about the business being as good as it can be yeah yeah like, and like people made fun of tim tebow that dude sat on minor league buses and like <sighs> did that did the thing he did the thing yeah for yeah. for a while like yeah. let owners go sit on minor league buses and then have them complain 
and like see if they see things any differently after sitting on a minor league bus for, yeah, for a spend summer. a month. The owner should have to spend a month on yeah. minor league buses. Yeah, like and undercover bosses. Minor league food and staying in minor league hotels yeah. and yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. All right, man. Have a good day. Enjoy Seattle. I need to come out there a lot. Yeah, come back. I uh, I told Sam the other day. It's like, is it is it too early that I can go back to Seattle? Because like, I just I want to go back. Like, I yeah. just want to want to like go and hang out. Yeah, give it like a month. Then the weather is gonna be really nice. Like right now, we're like teetering between like some days it's forty and, and rainy, and some days it's almost sixty. Yeah, yeah. So like, give sure. it a month, and and we'll we'll the weather will be real nice. I was gonna say, even though Bill Heasel yelled at me, but that's okay. I wasn't mad. I well, he might. Still, he's he's in Arizona now, so. Well, he wouldn't yell at me then. Yeah. We yeah. can go into why he yelled at me. Uh, but I wasn't doing anything bad. It's just I misinterpreted the rules, that the rules would be different on the days that I was in there because of the guy that's there. That's all. Yes. Like, yeah. Like I, yeah. I, that's my bad. I wasn't aware of this. Sorry. You, you're, you're, you're not the first. You're not the first. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it, is, it is not personal. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> All right, man. Good talking to you. Do your Absolutely. Day. I'll see you soon. See you, man. All right.